Greeting travelers, welcome back to Tales from the Enchanted Forest with your animal companions Fox and Sparrow. If you've been following us on Twitter at From Enchanted, then you will know that we have mashed up our greatest monsters for you today. Please give a spooky welcome to our top 10 monsters from folklore and myths. Jormungandr, also known as the Midgard Serpent, is perhaps the biggest monster on today's list. This large snake-like beast was so huge, it was said that it would wrap its whole body around the world and would then proceed to bite its own tail. Friendly reminder, the Earth is 6,378 kilometers in diameter. Yes, obviously perspective of what all Midgard was was different to the Norse people back then when it was written, but still, this is one scary snake. Jormungandr is the son of the god Loki and the giantess Angraboda. Oh, and he is also the brother of the great wolf Fenrir and queen of the dead Hel. Because, of course, the most logical offspring of a god and a giant is a snake, a wolf, and the future rule of the dead. Perfectly normal family. But sadly, this family was torn apart by none other than the all-father Odin himself. You see, there's this little apocalyptic event called Ragnarok, which was prophesied to destroy absolutely everything. Surprisingly, Odin is not thrilled with the idea of dying and proceeds to do everything in his power to prevent it, which brings us back to Loki's family, all of whom were said to cause all sorts of trouble when Ragnarok occurs. So he separates all the siblings and throws little Jormungandr into the sea. Joke's on him, though, because of course this completely backfires. What used to be a small snake that could fit in one's hand, Jormungandr thrived in this new hostile environment and grew to the world-encircling size that we know him today. Like a lot of other elements of Ragnarok, Jormungandr can be seen as an agent of change and transformation. Odin and the Asgardians knew of what was to come, and everything they did was to try and prevent it or slow it down. But in doing so, they aided in creating the beast that would ultimately destroy them. In this case, specifically destroy Thor, the Thunder God. Jormungandr and Thor had a couple of encounters before Ragnarok, but they are best known for their great battle during this event. They battled fiercely, but ultimately Thor would triumph, slaying the Midgard Serpent once and for all. But the victory would be short-lived, as Thor would only walk seven paces before succumbing to his own injuries. Since Jormungandr is a very specific monster with a distinct feature of being able to encompass the whole world, we don't see a lot of adaptations of this creature outside of Norse mythology retellings. With that said, Jormungandr does make an appearance in Marvel's Thor comics, but he makes a much more interesting appearance in 2018's God of War game. Since Kratos and Atreus are not aligned with Asgard, Jormungandr has this interesting position of being neutral towards you and even has no issue occasionally helping you out. Turns out, when a giant monster's not out to kill you, they can be a very fascinating character to interact with, or at least be a cool-looking NPC that occasionally opens up new areas of the map. It's a bird! It's a plane! No, it's just a Simurgh. The Simurgh is a mythical bird, often akin to the phoenix and the Huma from Persian mythology. It is a gigantic bird that can comfortably carry an elephant or a whale. With the head of a dog, the claws of a lion, and the appearance of a peacock with copper feathers. 
Unlike most monsters, the Simurk is benevolent and old enough to have seen the destruction of the world three times over. The bird lives in the Tree of Life, which according to Zoroastrian legends was a mythical plant that had healing properties when eaten and gave immortality to the resurrected bodies of the dead. If the Tree of Life reminds you of anything, you could be thinking of the world tree trope in modern media that is recognized in Avatar Last Airbender, Avatar, Naruto, Attack on Titan, The Legend of Zelda, Thor, and so many more. We discuss the concept of this tree in our upcoming episode based on the First Nation creation stories. The Simurgh's most popular appearance is in Ferdowsi's epic, The Shahnameh, Book of Kings, in reference to the story of Zal, the son of Sam, who was born albino. When King Sam saw his son, he assumed his son was a spawn of the devils and abandoned the infant on the mountain Elbors. The Simurgh heard the baby's cries and took the child to raise on her own. When Zal grew older, he wanted to explore the world with all the knowledge the Simurgh had taught him. Now being a mother, the Simurgh let him go, but gave him three of her feathers to burn should he need her. He soon fell in love with Rudaba, and when his wife struggled with the birth of their child, Zal called upon the Simurgh for help. The Simurgh instructed them to perform a C-section and save the child, who went on to become Rostam, one of the greatest Persian heroes in the epic. I'll bet the Simurgh is the only one of our creatures today that has a PhD, an MD, and has just finished her residency. Later on, Rostam would have to complete seven labors, including fighting dragons, abstaining from a fairy banquet, and killing a different Simurgh and its two offspring. Talk about loyalty. The Simurgh is often seen as a helpful creature that aids the heroes on their journeys, and this also includes a Kurdish tale where it carries a hero out of the underworld. Doppelganger is the German word for double walker and is often used in English to refer to two strangers who have an uncanny resemblance to one another. While this could be chalked up to coincidence, after all, according to a 2015 study, there is a 1 in 135 chance that a doppelganger exists somewhere in the world. But it's not likely you'll be running into that person, as the study suggests, there's only one in a trillion chance of you bumping into them. But if you are that one in a trillion, you might want to be careful. In German folklore, a doppelganger is a wraith or ghostly apparition that appears to be an exact replica of a person. Seeing one is considered to be a very bad omen, and even worse if you interact with one. Often the doppelganger will try and give advice to their shadow, which sounds good but is actually highly misleading or even malicious. Sometimes they would be more subtle and simply appear before you doing actions you were about to do moments later. It is often said that encountering one's doppelganger is a premonition of death and tragedy. This creature is essentially the embodiment of the evil twin trope, and that's how it's really most often seen in today's media. And that trope is as common as it comes. They will make an appearance at some point in various TV shows, from Buffy the Vampire Slayer to Ben 10 to just every soap opera that has ever existed, ever. Doppelgangers or not, the idea of seeing someone just like you appearing to be smarter, faster, or just better than you really unnerves us. And that is what makes these doppelgangers just so terrifying. Who could our next monster be? Well, it's the Tata Kila, 
meaning Owl Woman Monster, a predominant North American First Nation monster from the Pacific Northwest, specifically the Yakima tribe. Owls in general have a wide range of meanings, but they are commonly seen as creatures of evil. In some stories, the Owl Women were five sisters that were taller and larger than common humans, but could masquerade as natives by using the common tongue. They lived isolated in caves and consumed reptiles, animals, and humans. In one folklore story, the sisters kidnapped a Shasta boy for dinner, but decided to raise him as their own instead. He obviously managed to escape, and coincidentally, a while later, two of the Owl Women die in a freak explosion in their cave. Another one of the sisters was allegedly drowned, and all owls were created from her eye. The person who cursed her said, From now on, your eye will be the only part of you to act. At night, it will go to certain birds, the owls. Now, this is one of my favorite monsters after her appearance in modern media through the Disney Plus cartoon, The Owl House. Eda Clawthorne is a witch known as the Owl Lady and suffers from a curse that turns her into an owl beast. She could also be an allusion to the South American folk creature, La Luchusa, who was a witch accused of dark magic and murdered by the town folk. She comes back as an owl at night to haunt them because they murdered her. The theme of women, specifically witches, turning themselves into owls and other nocturnal animals is quite a common folklore theme. The witches would allegedly disguise themselves in order to commit evil deeds under the cover of nightfall. Ooh. It was even thought that during the time when the veil between the worlds was thin, owls could snatch souls to feast upon later. As someone who grew up with the trope of owls as creatures of wisdom, it's interesting to see the contradictory ways in which the animals are portrayed depending on the region. I guess you can be wise and evil? Originating from Ireland, we have the Banshee. And no, we are not talking about the X-Men character. The Banshee is a fairy woman linked to the world of the dead, known for her wails, which was an omen of imminent death. Easiest way to identify a Banshee is when you hear this scream, but you may not know it right away when you see one. They all appear as women, but age, hair, and clothing range wildly from a beautiful young maiden wearing a shroud to an old hag with frightening red eyes, a green dress, and long white hair. It's important to note that banshees don't bring or cause death. They merely serve as warnings. There are even a few good banshees that will sing a sorrowful, haunting song of concern and love a few days prior to one's death, though this song can only be heard by the one it is intended for. First stories, the banshee can be traced all the way back to the 8th century and seems to be based on the tradition of women who sang songs of sorrow as they lamented someone's death. Real nice people. We took women's pain and suffering and turned them into ghostly monsters for having strong feelings. Have you ever ghosted your date? Gone gambling? Been drunk? Well, watch out for pretty and attentive women trying to get your attention along the side of the road. Because they might not be that into you. Our next creature is the Molona, meaning Big Molard Woman, a monster from Colombian folklore, specifically prevalent in the Andean region. This creature appears as a beautiful and seductive woman, but quickly gobbles up her prey once they are in her arms. Her appearance is defined by her large horse or cow-like eyes and her giant teeth, not unlike the Spider-Man villain, Venom. 
The legends around the creation of this monster begin with a witch, Lamaka, who dabbled in divinity. She started off by helping women and going after unfaithful men, but soon she became famous and started her own gambling house. She started to use her divinity to go after men more ferociously and convince women to give up their unfaithful husbands and ideas of motherhood. Her trickery caused financial and emotional hardships for the people of her village. One day, her neighbors heard her drunk and rambling around her house, and later that day, a nauseating smell overcame the house. Lamaga was dead. The house seemed to reek of her angry spirit, and eventually they burnt it down. Not long after, a woman became appearing to drunk, unfaithful, and gambling men along the forest paths. They turned to her, and when she had them, her true smile came out, along with her rows and rows and rows of sharp teeth, which she used to crush them. For all her cruel ways, it was said that she avoided men with pregnant wives at home, families, or children. This creature follows a tradition of dead women coming back to haunt men as a reflection of the lives they lived. Women who were murdered, cheated on, assaulted, and subject to all other sorts of atrocities came back to get revenge. And, you know, all men are the same, so they just went after everyone. They also utilized the trope of seductively dangerous female monsters, like sirens. Remember, if she's out of your league and along the side of the road, it might be because she wants a snack. I'm a monster that could easily kill a man, but instead I ask inane riddles to determine if I'll eat them or throw myself off a cliff. Who am I? If you guess Sphinx, you are correct. Now, what is a Sphinx? Well, that's a little more complicated. While a couple of different cultures have different variations on the Sphinx, the two well-known ones are from Egypt and Greece. The earliest records of the Sphinx comes to us courtesy of ancient, ancient Egypt. Like, we're talking 25,000 BCE. If that's not ancient, I don't know what is. The Egyptian Sphinx had the body of a lion, a male human head, and occasionally sported wings. These creatures served as guardians, and their statues would often be placed outside of a temple or a tomb. Of course, we cannot forget the Great Sphinx of Giza. A beautiful, gigantic statue of Sphinx cut from limestone. While Egypt might have the biggest Sphinx around, ancient Greek also had a Sphinx, and they, they had a bit of a different take on it. For starters, there was only one Sphinx, the daughter of Orpheus and Echidna. She had the standard lion body with the head of a human female, eagle wings, and then a snake for a tail. Unlike her Egyptian counterpart, she was no guardian. One could easily come across her outside of Thebes, where she would be asking travelers riddles. When they were unable to answer correctly, they would immediately be eaten. Eventually, a man named Oedipus would confound the Sphinx with his riddle smarts. Turns out, she is a sore loser, as she proceeds to throw herself off a cliff to her death. So sad. Why is it always the bad guys that want to escape death so bad they end up tearing their souls apart? <sighs> Meet Koshi, our not-so-nice guy, also known as Koshi the Deathless from Russian folklore. He is often seen as archetypal villain similar to how Ivan is the archetypal male hero and Vasilisa the female hero. Now, he's not technically a creature, but his figure is likened to a spirit, devil, and demon so often that we can make a good argument. 
His main claim to fame, aside from being a wicked sorcerer, was his immortality. Fearing death, he detached his soul from his person and hid it in a needle. That is, hidden inside the egg. The egg is in the duck. The duck is in the hare. The hare is in the chest. The chest is buried or chained up on a far island. Basically, the grossest treasure hunt possible. But also, I feel like once you find the chest, you'll find the hare, you'll find the duck, you'll find the egg, and then you'll find the needle. Why not just put the hare somewhere random? Criticisms aside, in his most infamous tale, Koshi the Deathless reigned supreme until the warrior princess, Maria Morevna, captured him. He can't really be killed, and so she's forced to lock him up and keep him in a state of destitution for 10 years. Everything was perfectly fine until Maria married Prince Ivan, who is quite honestly suffering from main character syndrome and wanted something heroic to do. War soon broke out in the kingdom, and Maria heads to the war front, leaving the castle in Ivan's care and giving him free reign, except she specifically asks him not to enter one of the locked towers. His curiosity gets the best of him, and he breaks into the room, expecting to see a monster, a war criminal, or at the very least, a hidden treasure. But instead, he sees a feeble old man. Koshi tricks him into freeing him, and then berates Ivan for being a complete fool and a tool. He then flees, promising to kidnap Maria and making her suffer as he did. After a long adventure that honestly Ivan wanted, he frees Maria, and they decapitate Koshi, hack him to pieces, burn the body, and scatter it into the ocean. His speaking head was put into a barrel to be guarded, but it's with some certainty that he will return eventually. I mean, we can't watch that barrel forever. In modern media, the sorcerer has been likened to the historical figure of Grigory Rasputin, specifically in Fox's 1997 film Anastasia, and as Lord Voldemort in the Harry Potter franchise. Tom Riddle probably came across his character description in A History of Magic and contrived the idea for his horcruxes. Either way, he is a man who made himself into a monster and therefore allowed to be on this Monster Mash list. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Our youngest monster on this list is the king of monsters himself, Godzilla. While he does not necessarily originate from traditional Japanese folklore, we classify Godzilla as part of a modern folklore. For one, he has been around for over 65 years and has since become an icon in his own right. Pretty much everybody knows who he is. He's a gigantic monster taller than skyscrapers who can shoot radiation breath destroying everything around him. But in order to better understand Godzilla's origins and why he became such a scary monster icon in the first place, we need some historical context. In 1945, World War II had ended and the atomic bombs had been dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. To make everything worse, the U.S. proceeded to occupy Japan and censor the media for the next number of years. Specifically, nobody could talk about the H-bomb. Fast forward to March 1st, 1952, U.S. drops a test bomb, Castle Bravo, near Bikini Atoll. This bomb was far worse than either of the previous bombs, and a nearby fishing boat was contaminated with radioactive fallout. This understandably spreads panic through Japan once again and sets the stage for Godzilla's creation. You see, Godzilla was originally created as a metaphor for nuclear weapons and the dangers they posed. For the first half of the movie, he is not even seen on screen. We only see the damage left in his wake. 
First, he destroys some fishing boats and then moves on to land, destroying houses as he goes. The damage is so extensive it's believed to be caused by a storm or earthquake, but that still wouldn't explain the radiation and footprints left behind. And even when people have seen him and identified the threat, he is so powerful and destructive that people are helpless to stop him. No amount of firepower seems to do any damage. He just seems to continue spreading this radiation everywhere he goes and destruction in his wake. The creators didn't even try and be coy about this metaphor. Characters are always referring to how similar the damage is to what happened to Hiroshima and Nagasaki. It's even stated that Godzilla only started attacking because its home was destroyed by the H-bomb testing. The original film released in 1952 was a dark horror film that reflected on the dangers of nuclear warfare, reflecting on real fears that were happening at the time and as they tried to learn to cope with all of this. Every film since has decided to take a, a different approach to the character. Now he is used for big action films, which pits him against another scary monster. It's no real surprise that no one wanted to replicate this darker undertone. It's, it's a grim film, but it's really good, and I highly recommend you give it a shot. Nowadays, Godzilla is just thrown around or in these terrible big blockbuster films, and it's just so disappointing. Have you ever tried arguing with someone who is hell-bent on misunderstanding you? Great. Then you already know our next creature is going to be a roller coaster of frustration. We'll give you three guesses to tell us if you know who it is. If you guess the genie, then you are correct. Our next creature is technically the predecessor to the genie, the djinn. Now, genies are spirits or demons trapped inside a container, and they must give their master three wishes in order to be free. Often these creatures are sneaky and go out of their way to use wordplay to their advantage to get out of completing the task the way it was intended. Creatures similar to the wish-granting genie appear all over the world and in all shapes, but none are more obvious than the jinn from Arabic and Islamic traditions. There are different accounts of what jinn look like, but most accounts agree that they are shapeshifters. In pre-Islamic texts, they were believed to be invisible spirits disguised as reptiles or animals in unclean places that spread disease and illness. In the Islamic tradition, they were created from fire on a Thursday and were peaceful until they were overcome by corruption and evil. The angels were sent to war against them and they were wiped out or exiled. The remaining exiled jinn lurked in the shadows and appear in order to cause mayhem, specifically through possession of weak souls. Most texts highlight the differences between angels, jinn, and devils. Unlike angels and devils, jinn have free will and can act in a manner that will be judged after they pass into the afterlife, which is quite similar to humans. They are given powers of possession, shapeshifting, and invisibility. The transition from a spiritual jinn to a modern concept of a genie occurs in the story The Thousand and One Nights, where Queen Scheherazade tells her murder-happy husband a new story every night in order to distract him from executing her. We have a full episode on this tale from the early days of the podcast, so make sure to check it out. One of the tales that was added after the original text was compiled was a story of Aladdin, or Aladdin. The classic tale has Aladdin finding a jinn in a magic ring and a second jinn in a magic lamp. The jinn in these cases are benevolent and aid their master within the confines of their powers. Now, it leaves us with the question of, what would you do if you had three wishes? Thank you for joining us for this very special monster episode. 
If you want to hear more from us and find out what our next tale will be, come join us anytime on Twitter at From Enchanted or Instagram at Tales from the Enchanted Forest. If you're a bit old school like Sparrow, then you can venture through the spooky forest and email us at talesfromtheenchantedforest at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what spooky animals you wish we'd included in our mashup today. Don't forget, travelers, no matter how spooky you might be, there's always a place for you in the Enchanted Forest. <laughs>